Welcome to Brown Love, the show where we get real about all the things Latinx communities are talking about on your timeline. Brought to you by Netflix and Con Todo. I'm your host, Dasha Polanco. Each week, we'll be talking to Latinos in entertainment who are making space for our communities to see ourselves in all our complexity. While hip-hop's birthplace will always be New York City, its presence in Los Angeles, especially among Chicanos and Latinos overall, is undeniable. And it's not just in the music. It's in the look and the feel of hip-hop, which my guests fully embody. They're the dynamic Chicano duo at the center of Netflix's original documentary, L.A. Originals. Renowned photographer Esteban Oriol both directs and stars in the film alongside his friend and collaborator, Mr. Cartoon. Cartoon is one of the most sought-after tattoo and graffiti artists in the world, known for inking some of hip-hop's most notorious players, Eminem, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, and even Beyonce. And Esteban has documented both their and the genre's evolution for almost 30 years. The film delves into their own respective journeys into becoming hip-hop icons and explores what happened once their paths cross, not just for themselves, but for la cultura. Hi, guys, I'm Dasha. Hey, now. For those that are tuning in, this is Mr. Esteban Oriol and Mr. Cartoon. And I wanted, first of all, I'm geeking out because I just saw your documentary and it's such an honor. Dope. You guys make me proud and I'm all the way from Brooklyn. But hey, to know that Latinos across this country have been doing so much for the community for so long. It's important that we know your stories. For sure. And so we're going to start off with basically talking about quarantine and what you guys been eating. Have you been cooking more? What's it been like as far as food? And what's your favorite Latino dish, Mr. Cartoon? <laughs> Does that mean me? <laughs> um, you know, I was built for, for quarantine. I've been isolating for about six years ever since the shop. The old place downtown closed, you know. Uh, me being mm -hmm. an artist, it's important that I isolate and that I focus on painting because there's so many hours uh, behind it. So I kind of uh, built my little studio so I'm comfortable in it and it feels like I'm somewhere else, you know. I'm getting ready now, so when the gates open, we'll have some heat. We'll have something ready to go, you know. So I take advantage of this type yeah. of time. As far as eating goes, you know, I just... Uh, bread, try to stay away from bread. That's like crack, you know what I'm saying? Um, I love bread. Once you get 50 years old, you know, that you pretty much need a, a someone around you to just say, don't eat that, don't do it. So just cutting out all that, that junk, you know what I'm saying? I think not going to restaurants and having that freedom just to go pound food and all that, it's, it's actually better, you know what I'm saying? It, well, now we're forced to cook more or to eat more inside or order, so. Exactly. And you, Mr. Esteban, what is your diet like during quarantine? What's your favorite Latino dish? I do eat vegan now. And uh, my favorite Latino dish is uh, those fake ground beef tacos or uh, chorizo, you know, the fake one with um, <laughs> sweet potatoes. So it's like chorizo con papas. And then I make this uh, jackfruit, and that's kind of like carnitas or chicken. I eat that with uh, almond flour tortillas. Wow. Well, it's a great thing, especially now within quarantine. We really have to be cautious what we eat and, you know, but also embrace our dishes. So 
in order for us to educate our, our community, we also have to let them know that eating tacos, you can have vegan tacos and still be able to enjoy some tacos or Italian food. So I wanted to get a little bit personal. With all respect, I watched the documentary, LA Originals. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you. Um, the trajectory. I mean, all I remember as a little girl is hearing the songs, seeing the art, but never knowing who was behind it. And 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 why was that not represented, right? Why wasn't that put pushed frontward? And so, um, for me, your influence, how you shaped the the community, how you documented the West Coast hip hop, the culture as artists, is something that I wanted to highlight and talk about. Um, before I even go into the personal, how do you guys identify Mexican American, Chicano? Um, Latinx, because, you know, there's a lot of terms that have developed now and you guys come from an era where these terms did not exist. So what do you identify with, um, Mr. Cartoon? I identify as being a Chicano. Uh, somewhere time in the in the 60s, they started to become more aware of our, our roots and say, you know what, like, I don't even, like, I have a hard time even throwing American behind my name. You know what I'm saying? Just because I was born on the side of the line, but this was Aslan before. This was Mexico, California before. That's right. So if you look back in, in time, like we've always been here. So that whole idea of the wall and the immigration, now that's still North America. Mexico is still North America. So I'm from Mexican descent. So my parents go, my grandparents go back to Mexico, right? So each generation starts to Americanize and all that. But uh, once you get a little bit of uh, Chicano studies in you and you start to understand your heritage, uh, you see what all Latinos have in common. And even that word Latino is being, people are skeptical of that word. You know what I'm saying? Like exactly. they, they create words to describe us, right? On a document, on a, on a government form. So that's where a lot of this, this uh, Hispanic and these words come from the government trying to say what we are, who we are. Yeah. Now, Mr. Esteban, who, what do you identify with? I identify with a Mexican and Italian and Chicano. And, you know, of course, American, because I've traveled the world. You know, I, I embrace where I live. You know, we have so much freedom here and so much, you know, ability to do whatever you want to do. Obviously, you guys are success stories of of what it is to descend from the immigrant story, right? Mr. Cartoon, where did you grow up in L.A.? I grew up in the harbor area of L.A. I went to school in Torrance uh, and graduated from San Pedro High School. So San Pedro is, is the end of the 110. So you have everybody there. You know, you have like Crips. You have the homies, the essays and the, the projects. Uh, but we have beautiful lowriders and beautiful parks. San Pedro is known for being a beautiful city, and even though there's a ghetto in it, it's maintaining it, and uh, a lot of classic cars and bombs. So is, has it changed a lot now, obviously, because I know that cities do change with time and gentrification, but mm -hmm. does it still have that essence, or has it changed dramatically? Like, no, can you go back and still... It's kind of like Coney Island. Yeah. Where it's uh, the last ungentrified, like you see it coming, right? You know it's coming. You know it's by the water. Pushing through. It's beautiful right there. It's only a matter of time before it's all hipsters and wheatgrass drinks and uh, rock climbing places, exactly. you know? Rock climbing. <laughs> but right now it still has that hood. There's still housing projects right there. You can get your wig twisted back if you go over there. 
try to fuck around, you know what I mean? So it's still a violent city, a violent area, but a lot of times uh, the police, you know, they bury people under the jails, man. They give long, long uh, extended time in prison and it just, uh, it breaks up things. But you don't see 50 homeboys on the front lawn no more throwing up gang signs. They're in the backyard. You can't see them in the front. So everything went underground. They're on the rooftop looking down with binoculars or things are different now. But as long as drugs are illegal in the United States, there'll be uh, gangs. But it's still a beautiful place to grow up. There's music, classic cars, uh, just that area. It's similar to where E grew up in Santa Monica. Esteban, you grew up in Santa Monica. Yep. I grew up in the west side in L.A. So Santa Monica has changed, right, from you growing up, right? Yeah, nothing like it was. The only thing that's the same is uh, probably the Santa Monica Pier and the beach. Yeah, I mean, it's it's changing. I think it's it, the experience that you guys have have had. I think it's it's continuing and it will continue because New York City has losses as, as well. And I always say that we want to make it more, of course, beautiful, but why why is it not beautiful when we have such art and and I love the grid I love the culture that you know we bring f to the communities and that being said as artists I know that we also get influenced by our families and and our experiences growing up and how we were raised and what we were raised and um I, I know that your fathers did some creative work cartoon your dad had a print shop and Esteban your father was a photographer how did they influence you guys and in what you do and if so, how how were you encouraged in pursuing your careers? My my parents uh, were very open minded to art, and they were artistic. Both of my parents can draw, but they looked at it as like a hobby. Oh, that's nice, me. Oh, you like to draw, and like that's how my mom would look at it. She never was like, "Hey, you can become a professional artist." Like for my family and for my area, you became like a blue collar worker. You know what I mean? You didn't. Uh, go become an artist, man. Like My parents never even really uh, knew anybody that was a professional artist other than the print shop people. So when the print shop guys would come and they would drop off their artwork, my mom would call me and say, mijo, look, this guy went to art school. You can tell the way he presents his artwork. And I would study it. And then I would mimic that guy. So when I would do artwork, I would turn it in the same way that he did. Huh? So it was like I, I cheated certain things and I... I've made myself uh, look professional at a young age from just mimicking things that I liked and noticing what professional art looked like. But they were open to it. Well, influencing and, and imitation is part of being an artist, right? What influences you, what you imitate is part of being an artist. So sure. I think it's it's it definitely allows you to evolve as an artist. But you definitely, it seems that you had encouraging parents. So your parents encouraged you when you decided to pursue the career, right? Yeah, they not only encouraged me, I mean, I have a very rare set of parents that, you know, they've been married for 50 years, they're still in love. It's rare that you land on a set of, of people like that. Um, my old man's like a semi-pro stand-up comedian. So I just kind of got all that influence, man. And my parents not only told me, I, they were like, son, what can we do to help you? You know, they were those type of parents. Wow, supportive. Crazy supportive. I don't... And then my old man used to, he wasn't religious, but he would play self-help videos, uh, tapes on cassette in the pad. He tortured me with that as a kid. 
but somewhere in my brain, all the self-help shit went in and brainwashed me exactly. to thinking I was dope. I could do anything. I could make, I could achieve. I, me and Esteban, we had no idea of this, but we just wanted to be in the community. We wanted to just be working. We wanted to be just doing dope shit amongst our peers. That's, that's, that's what mattered to us, you know? Exactly. Well, what about you, Esteban? Oh, my dad was a, a photographer and a painter, along with a community worker. And um, he always would take me to uh, like museums or art shows or, or to like the beach or some of nature as, as a kid whenever I got to spend time with him because they divorced when I was three. So I would go to my dad's on holidays and during the summer and be around uh, him and his family. And, and, and pardon me, but in the documentary, he did give you your first camera? Yeah. So he always would, you know, take me to, to uh, you know, museums and exhibitions and stuff. And he would explain wow. the artist to me and the kind of art it was. And I thought it was cool, but I could never, I didn't feel like I could ever be, a you know, somebody that drew or paint. So um, the last thing that he introduced me to was photography. And... Uh, he gave me a, an extra camera that him and his uh, wife had, and it was a Minolta SR2SC. And um, he was like, "Hey, man, you're you're in these two kind of worlds that you know they kind of contrasty, but they're still they're cool, and they're still you know they're all you." And one was low riding in East LA, and the other was touring with a hip hop band around the world. And and we're gonna. We're going to cover that right now because I wanted to ask you guys, when did you first start listening to hip hop? And do you remember the first tape that you listened to or the first CD? And then that'll be our, our whole introduction to the hip hop world, which I want to get into and ask you so many questions. So save that. Now, Mr. Sevan, when did you first start listening to hip hop? I first started listening to hip hop in the 80s. And it was uh, The Message and Rapper's Delight. Wow. Once I heard those two songs, I was sprung out. What about you, Mr. Cartoon? My first one was probably White Lines. I think, you know, that they would play on a regular station. I was like, man, are they talking about Coke right there? <laughs> that guy would blow me away. You know, I, I didn't really know when I was a kid. And then if I found out, man, it was, it was like some real, man, I can't believe that's on the radio and all that shit. But K-Day was the only place we could get that music. And, um, you know, Tony A. You had a time then, too, that was Latin freestyle. A time when Beat Street was coming out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, and, and what a time to to be part of, like, the beginning of it all, right? To be able to, like, witness the beginning and, and be so so successful. And I know that, Esteban, you started doing security that led your job as a tour manager for Cypress Hill. And mind you, I used to listen to Cypress Hill, and I never knew that they were... Latinos, like I was a little girl listening to like, you know, of course you're in Brooklyn, you're in New York, you're killer man. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Because it wasn't like something that we had to mention. At least I don't remember it. Right. Did you consider yourself, Esteban, a, a member of the group? Like, I want to hear more of that experience of the Cypress Hill. Of, were you aware that this was like the first Latino hip hop group? I consider myself a member of House of Pain and Cypress Hill because when I started with House of Pain, there was four of us yeah. on the road and we were together 24-7, you know, 
all those days on the road and it was just me and them. And when I moved over to Cypress Hill, it was the same, but I took on like maybe three more jobs when I was rolling with them. So I was doing photography, I was filming, and for a few years, I even DJed along with tour managing, which is, you know, setting up their press, doing all the merch, doing all the traveling, doing the accounting and making sure that they, you know, got to shows on time and, and that everything was set up for them. That one hour you're on stage, is very stressful because, you know, if you mess up, you're messing up in front of anywhere from 10,000 to 100,000 people. Wow. And that's, you know, you know how it goes in life. Like people remember the one time you messed up, not the 99 times you did something great. You know? so, and they don't see the prep time either, right? They don't see how much, how much it took to just perform that one hour exactly. So in the doc, you were with Cypress Hill at Woodstock 94. Um, which had legends like Santana, Aerosmith, Metallica, and more. Are there any backstage memories that you have with the guys or seeing other iconic artists there that you, you remember? Well, me and Bobo from Cypress Hill, that was our first day working with Cypress Hill. I had uh, left House of Pain and I flew from L.A. To, to Woodstock. And then me and him both caught a air, uh, helicopter and they flew us in the backstage Wow. There was two ways to get there, boat and helicopter. And we were too late to come on a boat. So they flew us in with um, Jefferson Airplane, two of the members from Jefferson Airplane. So it was a trip to be, you know, in a four-seat helicopter with two of the original guys that were at the original um, Woodstock and then, then us two. And we landed backstage and Henry Rollins was playing and he was real good. You know, all the fans were into it and he was going, you know, going off and then... Cypress came on and I don't know if it was Killer Man or we ain't going out like that came on and the whole crowd just went buck wild. Days prior to the concert, it had rained and so they put plywood all on the on the ground for the fans. And once that song came out, you could just see like mud flying and and kids going, you know, out of their mind and they started taking the plywood off of the floor and picking it up and then they'd throw a kid up on top of the plywood. And you know how they do that crowd surfing? Yeah. Well, they were handing the pieces of plywood with the kid, like, really surfing on the plywood through the crowd. And there was, like, you know, 10 of those going around. You're like, oh, look at this. And B and Sen got so pumped up that they jumped off the stage and B jumped into the crowd. And they took his shoes off and they're pulling his chain and his, his shirt and ripping his shirt. He's trying to rap while 20 people are pulling him in every direction and staying on beat and he did you know like if you go back and look at the tapes and so you were able to capture that oh, oh that yeah if you look on the dvd you see me there I, I was a little younger and a little more handsome had more hair that's amazing that's amazing who's been the most photographed musician or, or figure of your career i would say cartoon <laughs> <laughs> yeah second is uh cypress seal <laughs> of course, because those are the people that I spent the most time with. It, it's cool when when somebody gives you work and they're helping elevate your career and then of you course. get into a position where you can give back to them. I mean, that's how hip hop, that's how our community, our, our Latin community, I think is 
is most powerful is when we start opening the door for one another and start elevating one another. And um, it, it shows in your partnership. And, and, and that being said, I wanted to speak to Mr. Cartoon um, because I know you started doing graffiti and airbrush on lowriders, but I, wanted, I want you to explain the first moment that you met um, Esteban and how, what was that? Like, well, it was love at first sight. That's, that's for sure. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nah, man, meeting E, we were already on our own trip. Like we, uh, he was already doing what he was doing and I was already on my mission. So when we met, it was weird for me to meet someone that was already doing like where I was like, I was just going to Japan for my first time. And he's like, yeah, I just got back from Japan. Because to my homeboys where I grew up, I'd be like, hey, man, I'm going to Japan. They're like, man, what the fuck are you going to China for, bro? And I'm like, nah, it's Japan. Ah, what's the difference? Like, these fuckers had never... The only time they left on a bus was in handcuffs. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, they well, left out of town, you know? So the, yeah. the homies had no idea of what it was. Like, if you're not in the military or you're not in some other way, or why you would travel to those places. So to meet someone that was already down with that, I was like, oh, shit, okay, I'm doing the right thing. He told me, do every interview you could do. If someone says, hey, man, you want to do a little, little ass magazine somewhere? Yeah, I'll do that shit. You just do everything. And um, that person might end up working, you know, at the source or something. At <laughs> the source. Showing our age with that one, boy. The source. But hey, that's how we got the news. Source. You know what I'm saying? Our news, we had to wait for the source to come out. And Esteban shot me one time for the source, you know, double XL. It was the source. Complex. I mean, all those magazines. I mean, for us, I think it was more relatable for, for our Latin community to relate to hip hop more than anything here um, in America. Um, it, it just, it was something relatable. You know, the struggle, the grittiness, the the resilience, the the moving forward, the the put the finding the beauty and and capturing whether it, it was with your photography Esteban or with your your art to capture how beautiful that our our culture is. Well, I wanted to ask you since you know you do tattoos today, you're one of the biggest tattoo artists in the game, and you know how much would a tattoo cost from you? Um, you know we do easy financing. You know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Just do a quick credit check. <laughs> you know, it's tattooing is crazy because like, no matter how much I charge, you're going to have the tattoo longer than I'm going to have the money. So if you think about it that way, they're practically free. You know, they just give themselves away and you're just paying really for the, for the convo. So, I mean, how do you, how do you determine it? I mean, and not to discredit your art, like it's, it's art. How do you determine the the cost of it? Well, I gave myself a race with that Netflix uh, when that came out. So if you haven't got in already, man. Damn. But let me tell you what. My hope just went down. My hope just went down. <laughs> no, you just got to, you know, instead of re redoing your bathroom or like upgrading your kitchen, you just come and get a tattoo. Okay. I wanted to to speak about the L.A. Originals documentary. I mean, what an amazing documentary, honestly. Like, it was just so important, and it's just the right time. I mean, people are home, people are watching it. And um, what made you, Esteban, want to create the L.A. Originals documentary? Well, I had all this footage from 25 years of traveling around the world and documenting 
so many different cultures or genres. And most of the time I was with Cartoon. So I had a lot of footage of him um, tattooing, airbrushing, drawing. And then I was on tour with Cypress Hill. And then, you know, we just had all these different types of people coming through our spot. And it was kind of like a spider web, you know, once we'd get them in there for whatever it was, I could, somebody would come in for a logo, you know, we'd hit them with, Hey, can you do a photo? You want to do a photo shoot? You want to do a video? You want to get a tattoo or, you know, vice versa, whatever they would come in for, we'd hit them with, you know, every kind of thing that we, we, we could do. There was a lot of famous people that I did not expect to see in the LA originals. Cause when you first see the documentary, you're like, okay, we're going to know about both of you, but then when we see how many people you guys were involved with um, and either by photography or, or tattoo, I was taken by surprise when I saw Kobe. Yeah. Right. The crazy part about the documentary is that's only like a scratch of the surface of footage of people and things that we have throughout all those years. When we got to interview Kobe, when you go to interview or work with someone at that level, they give you like a time slot and how much time and they have, you know, there are people there watching, you know, they're, they're, it was, it's kind of like that type of a situation, but he was so cool about it. He was like, Hey, you know, I, I got this, you know, let me, let me just do, do my thing. I met Kobe at our studio. He first came with his wife to get a logo for a clothing company she was going to do. And we were kind of like, I don't know. I was kind of starstruck when I saw him. I was like, man, I want to get a picture of Kobe, but I don't want to be a weirdo, you know? So I didn't, you know, we'll yeah, just meet yeah. him this time. And the next time they come back and, you know, look at the logo, we'll talk to him about the tattoos and, you know, the photo shoots and stuff or, or you know, doing a photo. But when he did come back to get a tattoo, I was out of town, but Cartoon got a couple of tattoos in on him. And then when it came time to do the documentary, that's the time when, uh, you know, I got to get a couple flicks of him. Yay. That's amazing. What tattoo, Mr. Cartoon, what tattoo did, did um, Kobe get? Well, you know, Kobe had already got a bunch of tattoos on his arm. So he came in to get his daughter's names. So I added a couple of his daughters and then fixed up kind of like try to make a sleeve out of his existing tattoos. Wow. It's hard not to get flabbergasted with someone like him. Um, he did end up coming back and tied in. And, you know, those times you get to chopping it up. Even when he did his interview with Stevon Henry, he was like, man, this it came out crazy. It's hard to sit on that. Like, with the age of social yeah. media, no one even keeps secrets no more. Like, they don't even surprise you, man. Yeah. Every once in a while, you get a Kobe in. We did that interview, and we had to just sit on it and not let no one know until they seen it on Netflix. So that was that was exciting, but well, it kind of sad. It was real sad, you know. I was like, man, you almost want to cry at that part seeing him talk, you know. Of course, I mean, it's something that you guys look. We're energies, we're lights, we serve our purpose, and then you know we go on to the next level. And speaking of mystery and and you know protecting the brand, you tattooed Beyonce, and I had no idea she even had a, she has a, a tiny a, a, a tattoo. That was when I saw that I was yeah, like, "It's a tiny one by her bikini line, you know." What? I mean, she obviously you catch her saying, "You know, don't film this." But how was that? Do you remember? Do you like? What What was that experience like with her? Because at the time she was what Destiny's Child, right? Yeah, I think she was just going solo at that point. Oh, it's huge, you know. 
then I get a call you once in a while and be like, hey, I got one now. <laughs> you know, where we like <laughs> we meet other artists, you know, these are we look at them as artists. So they're like whether you sing, you act, you draw, we're in this thing where we gotta take an invisible thought in our head and manifest it somehow. And he does it like where he's able to capture you. He's able to capture your look and know your best look for you. You know what I'm saying? It's not going to make you look corny because a lot of these exactly. uh, photographers, oh man, they'll get you out there, try to get you to, you know, hey, can you put your shoulder right here? And I'm not going to reenact it, but they have you out there funny. But Speaking of, you know, people in presence and you captured Esteban Nipsey Hussle back in the day, and he's certainly considered a poet in the hip hop community. What quality of his stuck with you that most translated on the camera? Um, just that he was a go-getter, you know, like a hustler. Like uh, he had a vision of what he wanted and where he wanted to be in life. And he went, you know, he pounded the pavement. He went hard until he got to there. And he thought about his community. To me, it was, he's the inspiration. You know? He will always be, you know, it's as, as I think it's important that we always highlight the individual's that continue to rise and continue to like, not by themselves, but with their community. That's what makes um, true leaders, right? And um, icons and speaking of icons and leaders, do you feel like you get enough recognition or credit for the role you've played in the culture? And we'll start with Mr. Cartoon. Um, I think, uh, you know, people have to make their own opinions about things, but we, I kind of just do it to be a member, you know what I mean? Just, I look at people as my peers, you know what I mean? I don't, I feel like a 20 year old vandal doing graffiti, you know, like in my head, or the way I approach life or the way I approach my art. And I look at the mirror and I see someone else staring back at me, but I, I don't really look at it like I need uh, these guys to maybe pat me on the back, but I got influence from other people and I try to let them know that, you know? Um, being able to meet someone like even Futura or Lee as graffiti writers from the East Coast, able to uh, say what's up to them and, and uh, thank them for breaking down these doors. But yeah, I think that the there's a lot of respect still out there in the tattoo world and and, and Latino and like Chicano world of art where uh, people give you a lot of credit, more love than anything, you know, so... Yes, definitely. What about you, Esteban? It's uh, the response that we've gotten from everybody that's seen it has been the the, the real reward of, um, you know, all the hard work that we put into it. I mean, I get like people saying, I watched it five times, I watched it eight times. Uh, wow. People have cried, you know, in several parts of the movie, which is makes me feel like, you know, we did our job, you know, because I think if you tell, if you're doing art and telling stories that, uh, you know, the main thing that you want to do is not only show something great visually, but you also want to uh, bring out different kinds of emotion. For me, I think, you know, we did it, you know. Damn right. Yes, 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 yes. And you so deserve it. I mean, I mean, it's, listen, we need that. We need that, and and I, and there's a lot of there's a lot of movement for us for the for the Latino Latinx. There's a lot of movement right now, and it's a beautiful thing for you guys to create hope and inspire us, for us to be able to like embrace things that we were at once excluded from. 
right? And now we've made our part, we've made our job to be like, we belong here too. We can also tattoo, we can also take pictures, we can also direct, we can also provide a, a multi-service, whether it's a logo, whether it's whatever, but we can embrace this culture. And I think it's amazing what you guys have done with the documentary, with your story, with your hard work, with your experience. Thank you. It's a beautiful thing. It makes me very proud. And we're proud of you too, you know, you've been giving us a lot of props and We've been, I had our eye on you too, you know, you, you be keeping it classy and you keep it gangster when you need to, you know, in some of your roles, man. And you, you, you put a good, uh, I have two daughters, you know what I'm saying? So you, you're a good example of, of someone that's proud of their heritage and that's able to, uh, influence these young little girls, man, that they could do that. Thank you. Thank you for those kind words. They're always appreciated. Thank you. One of the most fascinating elements of hip-hop culture, of course, is graffiti, as evidenced by Mr. Cartoon's growing L.A. legacy. But it's different in New York City, where subway cars sometimes have more spray paint than actual paint. You can literally see hip-hop running through the city's veins, and that's been part of its appeal for the past 40 years. At this point, though, it's impossible to know the name of every tagger who made their mass transit mark, but we definitely know one of the first. In fact, she's known as the first lady of graffiti. Sandra Favara, or Lady Pink, is an Ecuador native who moved to New York City in the late 70s. By 1979, the then high school freshman was already writing graffiti and painting subway cars better than her male counterparts. Yep. <laughs> which she'd do until 1985. While Lady Pink's early subway art is now a part of hip-hop lore, her later work has appeared at the Met, the Whitney, and the Brooklyn Museum. Brooklyn! And today, she teaches workshops to teens and young adults. Go ahead, girl. Lady Pink, a pioneer. And that, mi gente, is your quick dose of Latino history. Va? Que lo sepas. So the next segment um, is two little games called Brown Love and Canciones con Todo. So we're going to start with Brown Love, and I'm just going to ask you questions, and you have to answer them. We're going to get a little romantic. So the first one is getting a tattoo with the name of a significant other a mistake? No, it's a sign of commitment and love and respect. Do you have any? I do. I have my wife's name on me right on my neck. Wow. And for you, Estelle? Oh, of course. I got the, the name right here. I got the photo on my back. Okay. So it's not a mistake, guys. It's a sign of love. So if you're going to do it, make sure that you love the person. Love that person. It's part of your story, you know. For us over here, most of our tattoos are from parts of our life. Not, no disrespect to them, but there's people that do like tribal bands and stuff like that. that... I have a tramp stamp. With a tribal. We could change that. Remix. Yeah. <laughs> we do the 2020 remix. But it was a time in my life before it was called that. Yeah. But it was a, it was a time of like, hey, I'm 21. Here I go. Yeah. I don't care. I still rock it very proudly because it's part of me and I loved it. And, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Now, what's been your secret to a good marriage, especially given how crazy busy your careers have been? Um... 
it's a 50 50 you know what i'm saying you try to figure out what makes your wife uh really pissed off and try not to do that and then you got to surprise them every once in a while keep your wife happy you gotta yeah and then you gotta come off the wall and surprise them and do some cool shit keep them on their toes because all the, everyone's trying to get at them when they go to the supermarket so you gotta be spontaneous <laughs> and uh That's you gotta right. stay fly too you gotta your shit gotta be fresh And what about you, Mr. Stefan? Uh, just been a lot of compromising. Everybody's different in what they want and what they need. So you got to always meet somebody halfway or 80% of the way. You know, it's a lot of hard work. That's right. Compromise, being spontaneous. These are all good things, guys. Please take notes for those that are in a relationship. Now, let's move on to the last game. This one is called Canciones con todo. So the first one will be, what music are you listening to right now? I'll start off. I'll say, uh, I've been tripping on this kid named Anderson Pac. Um, he's a trip. He's from L.A. Uh, he did a song with Smokey Robinson. Okay. You know, he's one of Dr. Dre's artists. And there's the kid named Daniel Caesar. All a right. A girl named Her. Oh, I love Her. Yes. Jesse Reyes. Yes. All these kids have too. Oh my God, amazing. crazy talent. And for you, Mr. Esteban? A guy named uh, Joey Quinones. He has a bag. He's also a part of called The Sinceres. And his thing is he plays old school soul music, but he had, you know, uh, but he's present now. And he plays all the instruments himself. They're all, it's all, and he uh, records it all analog. Wow. Okay. A song that defines L.A. to you? And Mr. Stefan, you can answer. I would say uh, Dub C, This is Los Angeles. And uh, Mr. Cartoon, a song that defines L.A. to you? Man, I think about Tupac right off the bat or Snoop Dogg. Uh, but I'll say uh, Kid Frost, La Raza. Okay. For Cartoon, how many songs name drop you? Man, a, a couple. I've been in like a Rick Ross song. I've been in an Eminem song. The Game, Baby Paul Wall, Slim Thug, Skank. Can you think of them? <laughs> I'm forgetting some shit. Awesome. So that concludes our game portion. It wasn't like it gave us like a quick like question that. and answer kind of thing. <laughs> But um, to wrap up the interview, I wanted both of you to send a message and affirmation to the Latinx or hip hop community um, from Mr. Cartoon and Esteban. So just a quick short message from both of you to the community. Yeah, this is your homie, Mr. Cartoon. Man, to all the Latinx, all the homies out there, you know, stay focused. Don't let no one get you down. Get clear in your head of what it is that you want in life. And then put a lot of energy, a lot of action behind that. Surround yourself by talent like how we do. And you'll see you at the top. And Mr. Esteban? You know, just work hard. There's no shortcuts. And like uh, David Goggins would say, stay hard. Stay hard. So you already ha you already heard it here live and proud at Brown Love. Stay hard, boo. Stay That's hard. Right. Brown pride. Thank you so much. Pero blessings for your family, yeah. for, all you. You, for everything you. you do, you know. Um, and we'll see each other soon. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. This show was produced by Netflix. Con todo, and me, Dasha Polanco. If you like what you heard, be sure to rate and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to follow at Con Todo Netflix on Instagram and Twitter for all things Latin excellence on Netflix. Also, 
Follow me at She is Dash. I've been your host, Dasha Polanco. Hasta la próxima, mi gente. ¡Muah!